reason for you for uh, wearing a tallit? Uh, and I already imagined like uh, that she will have like a whole story about her <laughs> Jewish ancestors and she's like what is a tallit? <laughs> and so, uh, so, so I'm trying to say, you are wearing a tallit, and she doesn't understand, so I point, I point out, uh, and, ah, you mean my scarf? So, so I'm <laughs> explaining to her that her scarf is actually uh, yeah. an important Jewish garment. Yeah. So, uh, that is a really funny story. <laughs> did, you, did, did she understand eventually what you were talking about? Yes, uh, again, uh, yeah. be, because, uh, because the Bible is uh, very important within the... Yeah, uh, African-American the, American community, yeah. The community, so, so I was able to open the Book of Numbers and to... And to show her and told her, and I told her your scarf. This is what they're speaking this about. The, this in is the, the book relevance. Of numbers. <laughs> yes, it, it was a lot of fun. That's incredible. How did she react? Um, she, she she was uh, very very amused by yeah. uh, by it. Yes. Wow, that is so funny. That is a great story. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have I have actually. Uh, I've never, I never met a black Jew before coming to this camp, which I think is really cool. Actually, when I came here, I think there was only one other black person in camp, and uh, I don't think she's here anymore, but there's a funny story about that, um, meeting her. So I was down at the Agam. She was on, I think she was either on Agam staff, or she was a camper down at the Agam who was, like, on, like, hug swim or something like that, and... Uh, Michelle Fisher Gomez was like, oh, look, <laughs> there's another black person. <laughs> and I'm telling the story completely wrong, but it was really funny, and it was not at all, I was not offended by it at all. But this was the first time I had met Michelle. <laughs> it was very, it was really funny. It was really funny. And, I, and I'm sure that, like, uh, th- that you did collect, like, a bunch of different reactions. Oh, yeah. The- oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And... It's funny because I feel like after I came, you know, then Letitia came and there were other black people hired to work in the kitchen and um, there's Walema and Bucky and Yemi and they all have come here and um, I don't think that I started a trend at all. I think this is just the way that camp, you know, camp is getting more and more diverse every year and I think... uh, that was how that was the natural progression of things but it's so good to see camp getting more and more diverse as the years go on because I think it's it's good for everyone especially for Hani Khim to um, see a different perspective than what might be available at a not very diverse camp and I will uh, use this as a good platform to advertise a uh, First of all, Camp Diversity, which is pretty amazing. We, we have a really staff, uh, both Jews and non-Jews. We have from Eastern Europe. We have from Great Britain. We have from Israel, of course, from Argentina, yeah. from, uh, from Uganda, Zimbabwe, uh, Nigeria, Ethiopia, and it's quite amazing. And yeah, it's really cool. It's and really actually, cool. Uh, next e- next week we are going to come up with a podcast here in Kol Rama on our website, a podcast about the different Jewish communities in Africa. We we will have one episode about the Jewish community of the Abu Daya in That's Uganda, amazing. and another one of the OBs in Nigeria and yeah. uh, Zimbabwe and of course the Ethiopian community. That's really amazing. I think that's that's a Jewish community that I think in particular the Jewish community in New York does not really acknowledge as much and I think that ex- it creating awareness and creating not, exposure. Not for only in New York. Th- those are Jewish communities uh, that their stories never have been told or are just in the beginning of uh, right. getting told. Of course, there is the Ethiopian community that mm-hmm. is 
struggles with different issues, but, but uh, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, Uganda, yeah. it's something new, and we are here in Kolramat to bring this story. And we are here in Kolramat to bring also the story of uh, the African-American community. But we will start, uh, we will get, have a pause, and we will listen to Marvin Gaye, be real black for me? Is it? Oh, no, yeah. no. This is um, no, this I, is Roberta Flack and yes, yes, Donny Hathaway. Yes. Uh, I, I, be real black for me. I don't know. I am always trying to put Marvin Gaye and it disappears. So probably uh, we will go with Roberta Flack. Cool. Let's do it. That was Be Real Black for Me by Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway. There's actually a really cool story about that song. Um, in the 1960s, during the Civil Rights Movement, there was a big like black love movement. There was like, black people should be with black people, and that's really great. And then late 1960s, early 1970s, into the late 1970s, there was a big... Um, free love movement which is like anyone can be with anyone 
this is great. And I think combined with having just come out of Jim Crow and all of the racism that was deeply enrooted and it still is deeply enrooted in our in our social um, consciousness, um, a lot of there was a lot of internalized racism within the black community. And Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway wrote an album together, a whole album. Um, to foster more love between black women and black men and black people. And um, so that's why they wrote that song. Amazing. And you know, there's still a little, there's a lot of tension between black men and black women because the, the American and the global beauty standard is pale skin and light hair and light eyes and a lot of black people don't necessarily have those traits um some black people are naturally born with them some are not some are born with you know like uh, looser textured hair and that's like there's like a perception of that as good hair and so like racism doesn't just affect black people or it doesn't it can't it doesn't only come from white people or people who are not black or people who are not minority. Um, it can be from, like, someone could be racist to themselves. Yes, like you like, could. Right. Like, I could hate myself. Like, self-hatred is a, definitely a thing. Or Yes, you know, like it's a cost effect. Try, right. Like, when people try to... Um, to lighten their skin that's a big thing in um in asia and in africa and even in the caribbean a lot of a lot of cosmetics companies sell um skin bleaching products so that people can make their skin lighter because it's viewed as more attractive and some of them can be even very dangerous yes they are very dangerous they they can cause skin cancer and they can really mess up your body in a lot of different and really dangerous ways. And um, so I guess, you know, this this was the beginning of a movement where um, Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway wanted to black people to feel secure in themselves and to feel loved by other black people as well as you yes, know, the uh, general and community. Here it's, um I think having a, a role model, it's, uh, it's very helpful uh, that you should look the way you are and uh, you should speak the way you are speaking and uh, the things, y- you have a community and you have a culture of your own and you should be proud of your own look and your own culture and not uh, just try to be someone else. Like, I agree, yeah. I see, like, the case of uh, Michael Jackson as a very, very sad story. Well, Michael Jackson, there's a common misconception that Michael Jackson bleached his skin. So he did use skin bleaching products, but he used them, they were, they were prescribed for him because he had a condition called vitiligo, which, like, naturally bleaches your skin. Ah. So in, instead of having his skin just go gradually white and... Like he, they was very blotchy and things. He used bleaching products to even out his skin tone. Mm. So there's a there's a little bit of a gray area with Michael Jackson, but it is very sad. Vitiligo is a very uh, tough condition to deal with, especially like ha- being black and then having vitiligo on top of that, where your skin kind of changes color. And um, I'm sure he had to deal with a lot of. Um, a lot of identity issues because when you're like if you have grown up black you feel black and then you know people are saying things about how you may be changing you know like, I think I think that's a that's definitely a tough a tough thing to deal with and it's probably the source of a lot of his um, internalized uh, issues he's yeah. a troubled man yes so. and uh, we can just hope that uh Kids that growing up in our generation can have so many other role models yeah. and also the culture learn at least getting better in recognizing right. those problems. There's actually, um, there's a Barbie doll now that has, there's a Vitilago Barbie doll that has like the, um, and there are lots of models that have uh, Vitilago and um, 
a lot of people are being a lot more vocal and a lot more proud of it. And I think that that is great. And I think the skin bleaching products have stopped being prescribed to vitiligo patients, which is really awesome. Amazing. And I want to go back to, uh, to Roberta Flack and uh, what you said, because one of the most interesting things is, is how the African-American, at least as someone who's watching from the outside, le- learned to deal with that tough situation by, by creating a, such a great inner culture uh, for themselves in, in music uh, in comedians arts and uh, and what is the role of uh, of culture like uh, within the african-american community i think culture is huge with the african-american community the black community survives on being able to commune with each other um and i think things like um, things like this album the uh, where is the love album and things like um, uh, being able to create music um, there are so many protest songs that have been written by brilliant black musicians um, and being able to like even even make jokes like you Um, a lot of people make jokes about black Twitter, which is like <laughs> a community of black people on Twitter that kind of rant about things or joke about things. And there was one thing, um, I like to use this as an example because it's really funny. Black people love to turn their oppression into lightheartedness. So there was, I think there was one instance where someone, I can't remember who the, pol- the political or public figure was, I think it was Kanye, said that slavery was a choice. <laughs> and um, black Twitter exploded, as it does. And um, they, there was, somebody started a hashtag, um, and I can't even remember what the hashtag was, but it was like, It was basically people you know sharing memes of like, "Oh well, uh, me telling master that I'm going to clock out <laughs> like, <laughs> me after I clock out of my 14 hour day <laughs> working in the cotton fields, and it was it was just really funny, and it was a whole thread of like really, really funny memes, and I think a lot of times we turn we try and laugh about it, like we're able to. to relate to each other on a level that maybe no one else is able to fully relate to. Um, like even the, like when white women started calling the police on black people living their lives in public and, you know, they made like funny names for them, like, um, um, like pool party patty and, or, uh, I can't remember, uh, barbecue Becky or, Or, you know, it's just, like, things that we can joke about. Um, and I think humor is a big, big, huge, huge, huge part of the black community um, and the black culture that allows us, that insulates us, I guess, from, from the, the, the triggering aspects of being black in America. Who is your favorite comedian? Who is my favorite comedian? That is a loaded question, sir. Um, Top three. Top three. Okay. I would say I really like Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have some issues with some of the things that he's said in the past, um, particularly his bit on the N-word versus like black people versus the N-word. I have some thoughts about that. But I think he recanted it. Somebody told me that he recanted it recently. But I, I'd have to do some follow-up on that. So Chris Rock is definitely on that list. Um, I really like Sinbad, which a lot of people don't really know. I never heard of him. He's it. really, really funny. Um, and he used to be very vulgar, like, back in the day. But he has recently decided to become a clean comedian, which is... I think really cool another it's comedian it's very good for television another comedian I really like is Aziz um, sorry not Aziz I'm sorry um, is Russell Peters who is a Canadian um, he's Indian 
He's an Indian Canadian, I think is the proper way to say that. And um, he is extremely funny. He does a bit about um, how ethnic um, uh, parents or ethnic families will spank their children and white families won't spank their children. And it's, <laughs> it's really funny. It sounds really crazy and weird, but it's really funny. You should look it up. And honorable mention to Aziz Ansari, who has a really great Netflix, uh, Netflix special out called Right Now. And it's really thoughtful and really um, thought-provoking and I think relevant to this conversation. So. I should watch it. I, yeah. I loved him in Parks and Recreation. I love Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is my top five, <laughs> my top five favorite TV shows ever. It's such a good show. Uh, have you seen uh, Master of None? Yes, I it is seen, a great show. I think it's, it's not as good as Parks. It's not quite as good as Parks and Rec, but what could be as good as Parks and Rec? Parks and Rec is really, it's really difficult to meet that, to meet that level of good. Exactly. Uh, so we will uh, listen to another song. Uh, which one would you like? Uh, uh, how about what's going on? Hmm? What's going on? Okay, let's give it another try. Yay, now we can listen to Marvin Gaye. There's far too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some loving here today Father, Father We don't need to escalate You see, war is not the answer For only love Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see
That was Marvin Gaye with What's Going On. We are here in Kol Rama 102.3 FM, Kol Rama.us in the internet. I'm David Goodman. I'm here with Alicia Bagley. And we are speaking about uh, the African-American community or the black community. And this is actually um, my, my next question. How do I suppose to call you? What are you supposed to call me? Um, like so as a family, has, uh, as, as a community, yeah. like uh, how everyone do I approach? Everyone has a different, a different thing that they prefer. Some people don't really care. I'm one of those people. I don't, I don't necessarily, um, I don't get offended when people call me African-American or when people call me black. I think there was a period of time where being called black was um, not a good thing. People didn't like it. So they came up with African-American. And African-American is a fine term, um, but there are people who come from the Caribbean who don't necessarily identify with that, who are black and you wouldn't necessarily know that they were black, um, or, or you wouldn't necessarily know that they were um, West Indian or Caribbean unless you had spoken to them for a while. So they did not like being called African-American. I think black American is just fine. Like if I, I think a lot of times this is something that really irks me when we're talking about, um, when we're specifically talking about black people and, um, and black issues. A lot of times black or African American gets homogenized into people of color. And I think black black issues or issues that face the black community are very specific to the black community and don't always yes, relate to other people. The problem with people of color is like to say minorities, but right. I don't right. want to, like, I want to speak about my own community, not right. about minorities. Exactly. And I think, I think we have a tendency to play a little bit of like, play into respectability politics a little bit. And respectability politics are essentially um, uh, the act of trying to uh, be conscious of everyone's feelings when you're discussing a particular topic. Like, um, and I think there is, there is value in being thoughtful in what you say and how you say it. Um, but I think... If we're talking about an issue that faces the black community, we're talking about an issue that faces the black community. We don't need to appease everyone else by talking about yes, people uh, of color. If other we're communities about, can face the same issue. Right. But like, just like if we're talking about anti-Semitism, then we're talking about anti-Semitism. We're not talking about like other forms of discrimination. You know what I mean? Like, If we're talking about racism against black people, that's what we're talking about. If we're talking about, you know... Um, racism against um, the Asian community, Asian Americans, then that's what we're talking about. I think we, we a lot of times, in, in our mission to be inclusive, um, homogenize a lot of the conversations that we have in our mission to include everyone in, in the conversation. We make our conversations less productive and and less impactful because we don't stay focused so like example when black lives matter became a movement and that was the mantra black lives matter um, and people responded with all lives matter don't all lives matter and the answer is yes all lives do matter but we're kind of focusing on the black ones right now Yes, yes. There's an analogy that I really, really love. Um, someone, I can't even remember where I got this from, but someone said, you know, there, there is a cul-de-sac. There is a, a, a round road, like kind of like the key car. So, like, let's say all of the houses in the key car, in the boys' key car, are um, there, and one of them is on fire. Now, would the fire department, when they arrive, come and douse all of the houses with water because all of the houses matter? Or would they douse just the house that was on fire with water? Because that house is the one that is in need of the attention. And also, if you always speak about everyone, you always go 
to the most universal <coughs> you will always stay in some sort of an abstract mood and you will never face the real problems right I agree exactly so please if we are already here give me like what are the cha- the main challenges that uh, the black American community is uh, facing in our days I think it's hard to pin down two or three or four or a handful of, of challenges but I will do my best we don't um, need to count them all yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, we want generally. to dive in okay cool um, so diving in I think the black community is both over policed and underserved And um, what I mean by that is the communities that black people have been relegated to, meaning um, the communities that we stereotypically can afford or the communities that we have not been pushed out of, the communities that have not been gentrified or, um, or transformed to be for specifically a different demographic. Um, the communities that we typically reside in um, are over-policed, meaning there are far too many... Um, there are far too many patrols happening, patrolling things that don't necessarily need to be patrolled. Would um, you say that there is like a selective... Uh Uh, selective punishment? Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely. I think there... So growing up, I grew up in the hood hood. I grew up in Southside, Jamaica, Queens. Mm -hmm. And um, my... A friend of mine um, who grew up in a predominantly white community, um, Hicksville, on Long Island, um, her area was con- was also considered to be the hood um, or f- there were lots of similarities between my community and her community but in my community I would see my friends get arrested all the time for loitering in her community her brothers would steal cars and vandalize gas stations and and they would never they had never they never got arrested until they were both in their 20s so i think and it's because there weren't as many police officers in her community there were definitely 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 like there was when i was young i remember like walking home from school with my mom and like counting the police cars because there were so many because they would be all over my community um but i think i think that i guess that is the most stark example that i can think of of a predominantly white community versus a predominantly black black community and the different ways in which we are policed um another example is um the narcotics ec- epidemic um, in the 80s and 90s um, narcotics were like a really big deal there was like cocaine and heroin and everybody was you know yes. partaking and um, and it was a huge thing and so the uh, local government in New York and the federal government started what is called the war on drugs now And they were like, "We're gonna get these drugs off our streets, and you know addiction is is um criminal, and we should lock these people up and throw away the key because they're ruining our communities and blah 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 and long story short, there are now um you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of black people serving jail time serving." incredibly long sentences for possession possession yes. of marijuana and which is now are, legalized uh, in in many different and even back states. then if you were a white dude in the east side so right. no one would right. care and, about and your it's joint. not it's not that it's not that black people and brown people used these substances at a higher rate than other people 
In fact, it was a lower rate, but they were more they were more heavily policed and they were more heavily convicted. And um, the contrast now is that um, there is an epidemic on Long Island and in New York of um, uh, in predominantly in the white community of people overdosing from heroin um, uh, intake or overdosing from cocaine intake or um, you know having addiction problems and now I see all of these commercials on television that is like addiction is a disease you know your loved one they're they're just sick get them help and and I think that all of that is true but it was true in the 80s and 90s as well but because it was it was viewed as as something that affected the black community. It was like that's criminal. Yes, actually, like, do you know your friends, the family that uh, that their families get separated because this selective? Yeah, and I think that so that um, I think the policing of of the black community definitely um, contributes to the second part of the issue and that is the breakdown of the nuclear family. So like when you have a whole host of black people that are now in jail, right? Their fathers, their mothers, they are, you know, they have family, they have people that they're responsible for. Now, let's say like the typical nuclear family is two parents and children, right? So now you have a single parent and children, and that single parent has to work on a on a single income, and whether or not they have time to like, you know, go back to school and do things that would enable them to make more money is now irrelevant because they have children that they now have to take care of. And typically, this presented itself in the black community as a man and a woman are married and they have kids and the man gets arrested and goes to jail and the woman is now the single mother who has to take care of these and is kids. And st- is it still and like it's this? Tough. It, I mean, it is, it, is, it is still like this for varying reasons. Um, and there are other issues within the black community that are like internal issues. Like... Um, there's a lot of distrust between black women and black men, um, romantically or emotionally, um, and that's a whole different bag of worms, but I think that um, contributes to the breakdown of the nuclear family as well. And not that a family has to be anything typical or anything like that, um, but I think, um, I think that definitely contributes to the environment that is created in black communities um, where young men don't necessarily have um, role models to teach them how to be the be a man in a non-toxic way and um, young women don't necessarily have or young black women don't always have a role model to show them how they should be treated by a man if that is what they prefer. So how do you deal with such a gap? Um, I think there are lots of programs that, um, that black people and black activists have put in place. Like um, there's an organization called Black Girls Rock um, that is it was basically created to foster um, healthy conversations about black girls with black girls, like with other black women, and to foster great images for black women, f- for black girls, and um, change the conversation about what being a black woman means. And I think that's really helpful. There are also like a lot of really awesome big brother, big sister um, type programs in these different communities that are incredible. They're um, in terms of the over policing and um, underserving. There are um, organizations like the Injustice um, Project that um, tr- work to overturn convictions of people that are in places where 
you know, they're, they're in serving time for laws that no longer exist or laws that have been, you know, reversed um, and serving time or uh, serving time for crimes that they didn't commit or crimes that they were falsely ac- accused of because they didn't get their full due process due process meaning their they didn't have a fair trial they weren't judged by a community of their peers the community of their peers at the time was a jury full of white people who didn't particularly like black people so not really a fair trial so there's like the injustice project there's also um uh, the action pack which is um an organization that works to um to elect more um, more black and brown people to positions like district attorney and attorney general and um, in those offices because prosecutors have a lot of power when it comes to incarcerating black people and reversing incarcerations for black people. So I think those all of those things are really really awesome programs there's um uh there's a program that i think lebron james started um which is a scholarship program for um for uh black kids um and he also started a school in cleveland and like there's there are so many really really awesome programs that people have started to um to help the community amazing actually you finished with lebron james uh um and it's not a secret uh uh the role of the black american within the american sports team uh, ha- uh how do you think that this can be like a a door for hope like uh for like uh getting better attention something to look forward what w- what are the What is happening? Why? How does it affect the community? I think that's really interesting. Um, I think seeing... I think if, if for nothing else, young black children seeing people that look like them in a successful space is really healthy um, and really great for the community. Because if you... the the cliche is that if you see it you can be it right mm-hmm. so I think that is great I think there is there is a certain level of um, of a social glass box when it comes to like entertainment and sports and like these are the areas that black people have been allowed to operate in these are the areas where black people have a lot have been allowed to be successful in we're allowed to entertain you through song we're allowed to entertain you through um, athletic prowess we're allowed to entertain you um, through other artistic avenues but it is very difficult for black people to get elected to Congress it is very difficult for black people to get through um, uh, higher education like to be accepted to uh, you know like different master's programs and um, and to be to get jobs in in the workforce it is really difficult for black people to get hired the the general phrase that is used is that we have to be twice as good and we have to work twice as hard for half as much um, and it's funny because it's not it's not an exaggeration either And, um, it's a true story it is a very true story and I think a lot of like there have been studies done where they proved that um, based on the name of someone like when uh, uh, an employer is looking at your resume and you have a, st- a black sounding name um, or whatever whatever a black sounding name is um, you, they are less likely to hire you. Or if you go I mean there there are black girls that are still being thrown out of their classrooms because they have braids in their hair or because they have you know like locks in their hair, which I think is and do you feel that uh, there is any improvement? Do you think that uh, like uh, 
we had how many years ago all of the thing about the Oscar ceremony. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think we, we had any consequences from it? I think that if nothing else, the community, the American community as a whole is becoming more thoughtful and the issues are being spoken about. Whereas, you know, I think in past years, all of these issues still existed. Like the black community knew that they existed. They just weren't necessarily in the public eye, you know? So like the war on drugs was a thing, it happened. It happened in the 80s and 90s. And in the 2000s, that that stuff didn't go away. There were still black people being over-policed and, and underserved and there were still, um, you know, police shootings. And, but I think after, I think the trigger was Trayvon Martin um, the young boy in in Florida who was shot and killed on his way, on, shot and killed not by a police officer but by a private citizen, George Zimmerman, um, on his way home from getting Skittles and iced tea, and um, I think that that kind of sparked a new outrage within the black community. And then after him, it was Mike Brown, and then it was Eric Garner, and then it was Freddie Gray, and then it was Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old who was playing with a BB gun in the park, and a police officer rolled up and shot him without asking any questions. And Sandra Bland, and, you know, just Sean Bell, and all of, all of these names, name after name after name after name after name. And I think those names we know them because we have heard about them because people are talking about it now but i could list for you so many more names that happened before trayvon martin that will never get spoken about because they were before the awareness so i think um it is getting better one because we're talking about it and even this conversation that we're having david is amazing because it gets people thinking even if it just gets one person thinking and asking questions then those questions may be asked in the presence of someone who will ask more questions and the curiosity and the inquisitiveness is what will create change the curiosity and inquisitiveness of people that are not from the community like the curiosity of allies people who want who want to find out why things are the way they are and how to change them. I'm thinking about it as a process of healing because a process of healing can never be too sudden. It always takes time. But another something that we know about um, the process of healing uh, from our Jewish sources is the importance of visiting, paying a, a visit when someone is in need. It's called Bikur Cholim. And uh, there is a famous saying uh, of the rabbis that uh, if you see a friend that is sick and you came to visit him, you are taking with you some of the sickness. Mm-hmm. Because we are together. And right. uh, you can you can never have a conversation with yourself, but right. here we are together, and we can have a conversation, and we can raise awareness uh, for many, so many things that are happening. For most of them, we don't have any real solution that can uh, be too sudden. Right. But but we can ask. We can. Uh, we can ask each other here in the radio and uh, also you, the listeners, you can... Don't be afraid to ask because if you really care about someone or a group of people or a family, if you really care, they won't be offended if you, if you ask them. And, uh, and sometimes... It can even give them a support. It can even help them to Take do something. Take away some of the sickness. Yes, yes. I love that sentiment. I think that it is incredibly profound, especially because I think part of the, of the trouble and the trauma of, um, of 
oppression, which is such a general and heavy term, but part of the trauma of that, especially for the black community, is feeling like you're not heard or like you're invisible or like your problems don't really matter. And I think someone taking the time to say, hey, it matters to me, I wanna know about it, please tell me what your experience is, I think is so significant. Just the act of being heard is really important and the act of someone, an ally listening, is really important and really helpful. And uh, if we will go back to the topic in which we started the program, how sometimes the representation in popular culture can be very problematic. And if you will ask on a personal level, you will have much better story. So don't be afraid to ask. I agree. I think sometimes people are a little intimidated to ask questions specifically about this, specifically about race and um, things that may center around racism or discrimination or prejudice or stereotypes. And I don't know if I can speak for the entire black community because I'm just one black person. Don't speak but, for them. But um, I can for speak yourself. for me. And I... can definitely say if anyone has questions or wants to talk or wants to have open up a conversation open up a discourse I am definitely available to do that pretty much anytime so I mean this maybe this not on a show day but <laughs> pretty this much this anytime. this is a an open invitation for Malaysia and it's a very very hot glove you should just Come and get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i'm i'm always I'm always open to to discussing these types of topics and we are it's something that I care a lot about and um thank you David for having me on today yes, we are almost uh, done, but before I wanted to ask if there is anything else that you would like to add I think um in general. The Jewish community and the black community um, have had some some really awesome connections and some really uh, maybe not so great connections in the in the past few years and um, I think it's really important that we foster a connection between the black community and the Jewish community if for no other reason than um, being able to advocate for each other. Amen. Amen for that. Actually, again, that's a story <laughs> that just, just came into my mind because I came to camp in June 20th and I've been two days uh, before in Manhattan and the day before June 20th is June 19th, which ah, is Juneteenth. Juneteenth. And um, I happened to walk around the street and... Uh, And I came near Carnegie Hall. <laughs> so I said, okay, I will come in and take a look. And then I came, me, my wife, my daughter, and they told me, oh, you came for Juneteenth? Come, take a ticket. <laughs> so I had no idea what is Juneteenth. But, but I just uh, was so happy for the warm invitation and... To see how um the the guy in the entrance was so happy to see me uh like looking what's happening and giving me the tickets and and we st- we happened to stay there for the whole evening even oh, even though awesome. didn't disturb she was <laughs> fascinated and and um and it really was uh for me again like uh it's a it's a it's a connection that uh that I think that is very important and I agree and we need to find a way to reach out for those of you who don't know Juneteenth is June 19th it is emancipation day so it's it's the day that the emancipation proclamation went into effect and all the slaves were freed so it's a very significant day for the black community and David kind of accidentally uh, skipped in on a celebration which is so awesome yes yes that's so great an amazing celebration I have a I actually have a similar story to oh, that please please um, so I uh, I was like in downtown uh, 
kind of like a little bit in Chinatown and I wanted really wanted to get a pork bun and I was trying to find this uh, tea place that a friend of mine really loves and I stumbled upon um, the Eldridge Street Synagogue. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you know what that is, but it's um, I think it's the eldest the oldest synagogue in okay. um, uh, in, in Manhattan. I'm, I know that it's definitely the oldest synagogue in Manhattan. I know that it's the oldest synagogue in New York. And I believe that it's the oldest synagogue in America. Oh, wow. But I'm not sure if that is true, if that is definitely the truth. So don't quote me on that. It might be true. But um, I stumbled upon it, and they were having this um, this festival. Um, and I think it was around, like, Sukkot time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were like, come on in, have an egg cream. And I was like, okay, cool. And I took, and the synagogue is gorgeous. And, um, like they have like 800 year old velvet and they were so like inviting. And, um, it was just a really, really, it was really, really lovely. And I, it was like one of my favorite days in the city like it's one of my favorite memories and um the synagogue was beautiful and the people were beautiful like and the energy was beautiful and it was just such a great day um and i think that we could all benefit from creating community outside of our community and with this beautiful note of hospitality we will finish this program Thank you very much, Alicia, for coming. It was my pleasure. I had a really awesome time talking with you, David. Vice versa. <laughs> and, uh, I'm David Goodman. We are listening to Kol Rama 102.3 FM. Which song will be the last song? I think I want to go out on uh, a little bit of Ooh Child. Ooh Child. Because I think things are going to get easier. Amen.
מרגישים קיץ באוויר Thank you. 